seated. Please uh, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 and also John chapter 8. Galatians chapter 6 and John chapter 8. And if you will just bow with me as we go before the Lord in prayer. Yes, God, you are worthy. God, your worth is beyond all measure. That I pray that you will grant us the grace to see what you already know about yourself. In those areas, God, of our lives where we are minimizing your worth. And as a result, God, not experiencing the joy, God, that comes with knowing and finding all of our satisfaction in you. God, you are treasure, the greatest treasure in the entire universe. God, help our weak and feeble minds and hearts to comprehend enough of it to draw us deeper into that wonder and that beauty and that worth. God, meet us. Meet us, Lord God, in the places, Lord, where you know are needed most. And I pray, God, that you do these things not by my feeble efforts, because they are indeed feeble. But God, will you do them, Lord God, by the spirit of the living God. We pray against every evil force and enemy that is arrayed against every single one of us. We command you in the name of Jesus to leave. You have no place here. And so we come against every assignment and intention that you have that is contrary to what God's intention and his heart and his will is for the people that are under the sound of my voice right now. And God, do a work far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Ray Cosley. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Way, and we pray that God would indeed meet you. We have been kind of preaching on a series on power. And the series was begun out of a source of frustration. That so much of what I personally read in the scriptures about the life of Jesus are areas and ways in which I myself personally are not experiencing. He terms it, as I've kind of termed it in the book of Ephesians, the raised up life. Where my life is not characterized as much as I'd like it to by love, as opposed to anger, by joy, as opposed to discontent, by peace, as opposed to worry, patience, as opposed to striving. I want more than anything that my life would resonate with a kind of contentment, a, a soul satisfaction that, that I'm so grateful for the present life that I'm living, no matter what it looks like, that I can still find myself and say at a deep level that it is well with my soul. But in so many ways, still it's not. And Jesus said that he came to give this kind of raised up life. He called it the abundant one. And so I began a quest to experience more of that in the reality of my own life. And I want to bring us as a church body into that quest. What we've seen so far is that this power to live this raised up life that I just described, it's available. It's not a fairy tale. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that Jesus Christ 
demonstrated the power of the resurrection in the simple fact that the immeasurable greatness of that power in the resurrection is also available to us who believe. So the power is available. And then we found that the conduit through which that power comes is the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 3.16, he says, strengthen them with power through his spirit. So if we're going to get the power to live the raised up life, we got to get the spirit. Well, what stands in the way was the next question that I asked. And what we saw last week is that what stands in the way is the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The thing that's keeping you from that raised up life is the flesh. So here's what I came to. If I can learn, if you can learn how to deal with your flesh, then you can come to experience more of the spirit. And if you can experience more of the Spirit, and the Spirit is the conduit through which you gain the power to actually live the raised-up life of joy and peace and contentment that's worry-free, then you will ultimately come to know this raised-up power that Jesus Christ offers. So I'm trying to figure out how to deal with this flesh. And if you want to experience that power, then you should be wanting to do the same thing as well. And we saw what fuels the flesh in in Galatians 5, 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh. Everybody say desires. So what fuels the flesh, which is against the spirit, through the conduit of power that gives me the power, is my desires. Flesh is fueled by desires. And I want to start using another word that may help us, but it's the cravings. Anybody have cravings? Maybe that's a better word to to describe desires. And what we found is, is that it starts in the mind, your thought life. The ideas and the images that you're constantly consumed with are informing your desires. And those desires are those cravings, as it says in Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. It's the mind. And the more you set your mind on the desires or the cravings of the flesh, the more you're going to get less of or none of the spirit, and therefore you will not have power. Now, when we set our thoughts, when we set our minds on ideas and images that we think are going to ultimately satisfy us and fulfill our cravings, this is when the fruit of the flesh is born. I talked about the soil. Last week, you see, you didn't just wake up this morning anxious. You didn't just wake up this morning angry. You didn't just wake up this morning full of jealousy. That's the fruit of the flesh. The soil is the desires. And when you set your mind on all the things that the flesh wants, it simply produces those things. So you can't pull up your bootstraps today realizing that you have anxiety and then walk out and say, I'm going to stop being anxious. It doesn't work that way. You see, we are angry because there are desires that we are not getting. And therefore, we're angry. Anger is a low-hanging fruit because I don't know many of us that don't get angry. Often, or is that just me? 
Well, I kind of started asking myself, and I'm going to start, I told you guys I'm going to take this slow. Because if we really want to walk in power, then I really want to start to walk through this, not just say stuff that we know, but we don't know. So I started monitoring myself. And right after I preached my sermon, of course, the Lord's going to test me. And the devil's going to be busy. And I talked about chill time and donuts. All right? After service, every time I get my donuts and my chill time. That's what I'm craving. I'm craving it right now. I can't wait till I'm done. Come on now. And I'm craving those things because they feel us, and, and all desires aren't bad. Right? These desires aren't in and of themselves evil or wrong. It's the disorder of them that makes them then evil or wrong. And so we can order them wrongly. And so just as I do every Sunday, I went to go get my donuts. And I'm driving home, getting ready. And I'm ready, boy, I'm ready. I'm ready to get in there, turn on my cartoons. Donuts is ready. Got the milk. I'm going to get undressed, clean up, sit on the couch, and I'm good. Chill time. Well, I walk in, and the wifey's on the phone. And she's talking to someone, and it's on speaker. And it was a little foreign voice, and I wasn't sure who that was. And so, again, my cravings are going, right? And my craving is uninterrupted time. Notice this uninterrupted time. I don't want any interruptions. Everybody go away. Everybody. So, wifey's talking, and all of a sudden I hear that it's an old friend of my kids who used to live across the street from us when we lived in Compton. His name is Ivis. And he called out of the blue because God was doing a work in his heart, and he had come across somebody who had been telling him about the Holy Spirit. Now, we prayed for Ivis for years, and those of you who may have been around years ago, Ivis and my son used to run around the church over in Chinatown wreaking havoc. They were throwing rocks over roofs, and they were doing all kinds of stuff. Serious, and that's not an exaggeration, not rock, boulders, boulders, at people when they was walking by. God help my children. So, Ivis gets this inclination in his heart because he wants to know more about this gospel that he's been hearing and we used to tell him about the gospel when he was a boy. And so out of the blue, he calls. He's now, you know, 20-something years old. And he calls my wife and he says, I want to know more about the Holy Spirit. Well, my wife knows I'm craving uninterrupted time with my donuts. And so she kind of trickles off into the back room trying to respect my time. I appreciate that, baby. Thank you so much. But then Ivis asks a question that stumps her. Well, she's got the pastor in the other room. Right? The one who should be able to help out with this. And so she meanders out sheepishly and says, uh, honey, Ibis has a question here. Would you mind kind of, and I'm, I'm right ready to unpack my donuts. Now in that moment, in that moment, that craving can become disordered. I'm doing this because we do this every day, you guys. We are more inundated with desires than we are aware of. We don't think about it. But watch this. My desire is uninterrupted time. Right now, the Holy Spirit is inviting me into an opportunity to speak to a kid that was this high that we have been praying for when he was this big to come to see and know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's my question. What's in the right order right now? 
stepping into this conversation to help this young man understand the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life or uninterrupted chill time with my donuts? See, the craving's there. And it can be disordered really fast. Well, I just, by the grace of God, remember what I just preached. And in that moment, I took a deep breath. And I said, God, you know my craving. You know what I want. I'm tired. I don't want any interruptions right now. I've been up since four something in the morning. But God, I know that you know that I want and need this. So I'm going to entrust it to you. And I'm going to step into the order that I know is your design. And in that moment, I felt an enablement. There was just an enablement where God came and he met me. And I took a deep breath and I engaged Ivis. And as I began to engage him, I began to talk to him about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he asked me, well, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And I told him, I said, true Christianity is when you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you follow him. That means you deny, every, you deny everything that you think, feel, or desire that is in your heart and it becomes God's desires for you and you embrace those. And you die to everything else. That's true Christianity, Ivis. And as I began to describe to him authentic faith, he stopped. And he began to laugh. Laugh and weep at the same time. And he said, I see. I see. I didn't see before. But now I know I've been asking for this for so long, and, and I thought I lost God, but now you told me the way that I can find him. Are you really telling me that if I deny myself and I follow after God, that he will meet me and I will be on my way with him? I said, yes. And he said, thank you so much for taking the time to tell me about the way that I can gain the God that I thought I lost. And he just wept, and he laughed. There was just this laughter. It just, just released. The Holy Spirit just lifted off of him. And he stepped into the kingdom. Now just imagine, which I do so often, had I been over here in all of my desires and cravings. And I ordered those above God's desires and cravings. He may not be in the kingdom right now. Or I would have missed out on the opportunity because I have never in all my life experienced what I experienced on that phone. I saw a vision of God that donuts can go take a hike. You can go kick rocks because what I saw cannot compare. I literally saw an individual rise from death to life in Christ right before my eyes. Come on now. And so I'm watching myself. 
See, that's the raised up life. That's the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of life where true satisfaction is found. I was more satisfied in that moment than 15 day, thousand million days of donuts that I've had. And so I continued to monitor myself. I found myself, again, anger. I'm just monitoring my cravings. And these are little, but they inform the mind and the heart. And that's why I'm going slow here. I was pouring my cereal. I'm really paying attention to myself. And the way I like my cereal when I eat eat granola is I like to put the milk in first and let it soak. And then I'll put some cinnamon cereal on top of it so it stays crunchy. So I want the granola soggy, but I want the cinnamon cereal on top crunchy, right? Anybody has cinnamon toast crunch soggy? That's not the business. I wasn't thinking. And so you know what I did? I put both of them in at the same time and poured the milk. That's a problem. But guess what happened? I was what? Angry. I was angry at myself, but it's still anger. I'm still feeding anger. I'm feeding anger. All because I didn't get my craving. I was desiring to pour my milk and cereal in a certain way. That was my craving. It didn't happen. I didn't get what my flesh wanted, and I got pissed. No, this is what we do all day. I'm slowing down, church. I'm slowing down. We were were at home, craving relaxation, food. We love food, pizza. Me and the wifey always have pizza nights on Friday. Hey, hey, hey. This, this, is, this is my daughter. She's back from college. You see Big Mouth right there. Now you see who the one is that be doing all, all over the place in my house. All right, don't mind her. We still praying for that one. Pizza. I know, why is this all food? We got problems in the Cosley household. Pizza and movie night. And the wifey started examining this as well. She's saying, why do I, right right when I get stressed or when I feel like I need a letdown, the first thing that goes to my mind is not God, but what? Pizza and a movie. And here's how you test the reality of, is it disordered? The moment you don't get pizza and the movie, what happens to you? You get hangry. Where do we get that term from? Then she's frustrated, anxious. I got to get my pizza. Honey, go. She's all over the place. You see, the cravings are the soil from which all of this fruit of the flesh comes from. If we can get to these desires down here, we will birth different kind of fruit. You see, you crave that dopamine rush. And so you hang out with friends that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing, teenagers, because you want to have that rush too. Video games will do it. More time on IG. Mom and dad say no. 
And so you get what? Angry. I was craving sermon prep this week. I'm telling you, God was messing me up. He was testing me all week with this one sermon. I had to preach as I am right now. And I had to pick up baby girl. So I did a 12-hour stint to Arizona there and back to pick up my daughter. And then I took the day off on Tuesday because I get a Monday off. And so that was pushing me back for my sermon preparation. And I normally need, you know, 25 hours, 30 hours for prep. And so it's chopping away at the time. Now, I'm getting anxious. Well, on Tuesday night, my wife bumps me and says, my back is hurting. And that normally means kidney stones. How many guys had kidney stones? They are no joke. I mean, my wife has born four children, natural births. She says those things are on par with giving birth. They're that painful. And so she wakes me up at 5 o'clock in the morning and says, I got to go to the emergency room. Okay, now I have certain cravings. You know what I'm craving in that moment? I got to get a little more sleep because I got to wake up in sermon prep and it's Wednesday. So now, what does it look like when I'm actually now having to get up at five? I need to love my wife in that moment, right? Isn't that God's order, right? That's God's design in his order. Now, the thing that's going to keep me from it is the craving for sermon prep. Now, is that a bad craving? But can I get it out of order? Yes, I can. And so what I told myself was, okay, I need to be present for my wife. Now, what can happen is I'm going to bring my computer, I'm going to be sitting while we wait, and I'm going at it. And as I'm going at it, she's kind of looking, and the thing is, I'm not what? Present. And so I can be in a place, in a position where I crave this so much, God, you got to give me sermon prep, that I'm hoping that maybe she says, honey, you can go ahead and go home. I'll just sit here by myself in the emergency room, about to just fall over so you can go sermon prep. But no, she's buckled over. And so the way that I can step into loving her, fruit of the Spirit, is to entrust sermon prep to the Lord. God, you know what? I'm only going to get maybe two days. So I had to exhale. God, I'm going to entrust this message to you, and I'm going to be present for my wife in that emergency room so I could come alongside her. You see, God was testing me because, again, I only had a couple days to prepare this message. But what I'm noticing is a pattern. And now I'm beginning to understand where the hums of negative emotions come from in my life, and maybe you can see it in yours. It's the constant daily cravings that I have that are not being met, and they're constant. They are always, they are continuously coming at me, large and small. And so my question is, what about you? My wife helped me look up some consistent temptations that women have and that men have. Um, They said the top temptations of the fruit of the flesh for women is discontent, gossip, jealousy, control, comparison. doesn't mean men don't have these things. I have these things as well. Discontent, gossip, jealousy, control, comparison. And for men, it's pursuit of love, of money, corrupt talk, lust, 
meaning sex, the lust for power, the lust for fame, the lust for recognition and position, pride and envy. Is anybody in those places right now? Anybody or is that just me? Everybody raise your hand. Y'all got to participate and talk to me. Come on now. And then there's bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, clamor, complaining, grumbling, malice. Those are all just forms of anger. I want you to slow down right now, and I want you to invite the Holy Spirit into the areas of flesh that you know that I just read that are you right now. I want you to slow down. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit into that list because you are experiencing one of those that I just listed right now. Here's the issue. You want to know why you're controlling? Because you crave intimacy and loyalty. You want to know why you're cussing under your breath, my teenagers? Because you're angry that your parents won't give you what you want. You know why you're grumbling and complaining? Because you want things, you're craving for things to be a certain way. And no one around you is conforming to that way. But once they do conform, then you'll finally be happy. I want you to find yourself in this list. You want to know why you want to look and dress a certain way? It's because you crave affirmation, because you crave self-expression, because you crave the positive attention, because you want to feel wanted. We don't talk about this often, but you know, gluttony is a sin. And we Americans are all in it. It's the sin of excess. We eat excessively. You realize the plates that we get is enough food for like three people? Well, like seriously, when restaurants give us food, it is excessive in the amount. We are excessive in our social media engagement, in our video screen time. We are excessive in our work. We overwork. Most Americans overwork. That's gluttony. And the question becomes is, is, what are you craving in your gluttonous behavior? Are you craving escape from the life that you're living? Are you attempting to, to, to quiet the noise of some area of dysfunction or hurt or harm or trauma in your life that gluttony and living in excess will quiet? The question I'm asking you is, what are you craving? Why are you full of the lust of power and position, money, Fame, sex, is it because you crave adulation and the praise of others? It's the reason why you're so consumed with, with making sure that everything is all right with your finances so you can create, because you can gain that security. You didn't have security as a kid, and so you got to work hard to make sure that, that everything is right where it needs to be so you can feel secure and in control. Why are you engaged in sorcery? I never talked about this, but in the list of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 19, people say drugs is not in the Bible. It is in Galatians, chapter 5, verse 19. You know what the word sorcery? We think of sorcery like, um, read 5.19, sorcery as like casting spells and wands and Harry Potter stuff, right? Harry Potter, woo-woo, um, spalantrum, or whatever they be saying. I don't know what he be saying. Inferiatum, or whatever. <laughs> right? Um, that's actually not it. The word in the Greek for sorcery, you know what it is? Pharmakeia. What does that sound like? The word what? Pharmacy. They would use different herbs and drugs for mind-altering incantations and religious practices 
that would alter the mind. They used drugs then. So stop telling me and everybody else, drugs ain't in the Bible, weeds in the Bible. It's in there, pharmacia. But why are we so engaged in our areas of sorcery? Because we want to escape our trauma. Maybe because we're craving to be accepted by others. Maybe it's because we're, 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 we're craving to leave all of our troubles behind. Why are you lying right now? Why is the fruit of lying coming out of your life? So you're craving something that is going to make you happy, that, that if you don't lie, you'll lose it. And so you got to keep manipulating and lying to keep that thing that, that ultimately you believe is satisfying your soul. Some of you right now are comparing yourself to others. Why? Because you crave a positive perception of yourself. And you want others to think positively of you. See, see, it's just being driven by your cravings. The reason why the fruit of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness is because you know what? You crave revenge. Retribution for the thing that was done to you. Why do you gossip and slander? It's because in order for you to feel good about yourself, you got to make others look down so you can look better than they are. See, the cravings are driving the gossip and slander. You want to know why I'm frustrated, why I'm irritated, why I'm angry? It's because that person isn't changing. You got somebody in your life right now that you're frustrated that they don't change. Well, here's the problem. What if they don't change for 10 years? That's where the hum of anger comes from. Because you're craving their change as the avenue to your happiness. And that desire, so long as it's present, you're constantly going to be dissatisfied until you get it. You see, the hums are starting to make sense to me. Here's the reality. If you see rotten fruit of the flesh, stop and ask yourself, where's the craving outside of God that is ultimately fueling and providing for it? The soil or the cravings? And if you're going to start, listen to me. This is, I'm slowing down, and I may have to cut some of my message because it's, I'm seriously slowing down. And here's why. Because I'm tired of trafficking in the fruit of the flesh. Are you? No, seriously. We know what we know, but we don't know because we keep trafficking in it. I'm slowing down. If you're going to start to deal with your flesh, you first need to identify what is fueling it? What's the fruit and what's the craving of the soil? So now I'm going to try to just hit one point that helps also with the flesh. And this is the question. We're going to keep playing in the soil. We're going to play in the dirt a little bit more. There's another ingredient in the soil of your flesh cravings that pulls you away from the spirit. You got to get spirit, right? And here's my approach. As I, as I kind of said, I'm going on a quest. This has been my approach. Here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to find everywhere in the Bible where the Spirit is. Wherever I can find Him, I'm asking myself, how can I keep Him, get more of Him, or what's pulling me away from Him? That's the key. And so, we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And we'll read at verse... We'll start at verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. Everybody say deceived. 
God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now the background here of just this section, it actually goes from verses 1 through 10. And the Spirit here is basically what it looks like in verses 1 through 6 to live the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is on display in verses 1 through 6, and you can read that. That's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And then in verse 7, where I said, is a maxim, a maxim of truth that supports living in the Spirit. And so the maxim is, right, for the one who sows to his own flesh, verse 8, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap the Spirit will reap eternal life. So it's a sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, you reap the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap the Spirit. But notice what Paul says at the very beginning of verse 7. I was going to preach on reaping and sowing, and then I just saw verse 7. Beginning. Do not be what, everyone? Deceived. So we're going to stop there. The other ingredient in the soil of your flesh cravings that pulls you away from the source of the Spirit is deception. Is lies. Everybody say lies. Watch. When deception and desires outside of God are mixed together in the soil of your heart, they are a powerful impetus for the fruit of the flesh. And what is the deception that Paul is highlighting here? Do not be deceived. What's the deception? The deception is, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap the Spirit. That's the deception. If you sow to the flesh, if you do whatever the flesh cravings, desires tell you, then you will ultimately, finally experience the life that you wanted to live. That's deception, and that's the devil. In the name of Jesus, you better get up out of here. That is a straight bat. All right. <laughs> All right. Lord Jesus, please, will you remove that bat from our presence in Jesus' name? So, what is the deception again? What is the deception that you see here in the text? He's saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, what are you going to get? Flesh. Don't be deceived. I know you think that if you keep focusing on the desires of your own flesh, that you will get the spirit and the life that you're looking for, you will not. It's not going to happen. You see, deception is one of Satan's most powerful weapons to actually get to our desires to birth the fruit of the flesh. This is where we find ourselves in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you could flip over to John. And we see deception starting at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, everybody say abide. If you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. Everybody say truth. And the truth will set you free. Everybody say free. Now the question is, is free from what? They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. And you, we've never been enslaved by, to anyone. Who is it that you say you will become free? How is it that you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So now he's talking about freedom from what? Sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, what? Free from the bondage of sin, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word, if I say word, finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So here he talks about truth is what Jesus is talking about. And now truth will set you free. Free to do what? Free to live the raised up life is what Jesus is talking about. Free to live that spirit-filled life. So truth is the ingredient that's needed to live the raised up life. You with me? You following me? If you want to be free to live the the fruit of the spirit and not the fruit of the flesh, you got to have truth. And I love the way Comer defines truth. Because when we hear that, I think it loses it in our our cultural context. I I like the way he says this. The best definition I know of truth is reality. Reality or that which corresponds to reality. And the best definition of reality I know is, he says, what you run into when you're wrong. If I say, I believe I can fly, and you walk off the top of a 10-story building, reality is what you hit when you hit the ground. Isn't that really what truth is? It's reality. Now, we see this even more clearly as now Jesus talks about truth first, and now he goes into deception, verse 43. Why do you understand, why don't you understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. That's truth. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the what, you guys? Truth, because there is no what? Truth in him when he what? Lies. He speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is called the father of lies. Satan is the origin point of deception. And when he lies... He speaks his native tongue, which means, watch this. You got to sit and ask yourself this question. That means everything that does not conform and comport to reality is the language of the demonic. Did you hear me? Let that sit. The absence of truth, not living in concert with truth, is not a small thing. It's the very language that brought humanity into corruption. And what does the devil want to do in your life? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you in bondage. And what Jesus is referring to when he calls him the father of lies, the very origin of deception, what is he talking about? Genesis, right? 
in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, we're very familiar with the story. But in Genesis 3, Satan comes to Eve. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He's beginning to help cause her to question what? What God said, his word. So he's ushering in a what? Deception, a lie. And then what he says, he then actually goes after the mind, and I'll go ahead and read it. You don't have to turn there. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, he says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is a straight up what? Lie. That is a lie. Because God said you will what? Die. Didn't God say that? And then she falls into the two areas of lies that are underneath the lies. First, the deception is, as is always, with every single one of the cravings that you have, watch this, every craving that you have that you feel is going to fill you up, the first lie is, I don't need God. I don't need God. I can take care of this on my own. And then the second lie underneath the lie is, I'm going to redefine good and evil based on the voice in my head and the inclinations of my heart rather than God's word. And you know what you have? Death and corruption when you fall there. And then you notice with Eve, watch this, watch this, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, desires. She already desired wisdom. She desired, that was a desire of hers. And it wasn't necessarily bad. I believe here, God would have eventually allowed them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just not yet. It wasn't necessarily a bad desire. But the devil came in and he disordered it by a lie. Did God say? Did God say? That's what I was dealing with in the emergency room. Sermon prep is a good thing, amen? But I'm sitting there, and the lie is coming, saying, did God say, when he said, love your wife like Christ loved the church, yeah, there's kind of measures to sacrifice, right? And you know, you're doing a good thing. You're a pastor. You got to preach the word to God's people. Won't you go and sit there with a grumbling, sour attitude so your wife can look at you and be like feeling sorry for you and be like, oh, you know what, baby? Go ahead and go sermon prep and just leave me here while I'm buckled over about to feel like I'm dying. You see, my craving, you add a lie to it, that's like gasoline on fuel that's already burning. And then I'm boom. Comer gives an analogy and I'll kind of begin to end here. And he hits on the area that we talk about often, and I'm just going to go ahead and do it, but I appreciate how he does it. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, he talks about the works of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh. And the first one that Paul mentions is sexual immorality. We talked about truth being comporting or corresponding with reality. So here's the reality. Sex, the way the world, and relationships, the way the world is telling us to live it, 
if it comports with reality, ought to be producing happiness, joy, rest, peace, and contentment, right? If it comports with reality. So he goes on to say, the sexual liberation revolution, sex lib began in 1960s. He said, it's set in motion by a craving, and it was a craving for liberation. We want to be liberated. That's the word today, liberation. It created a cascade effect. The reversal of longstanding moral consensus around promiscuity, which is having sex outside of marriage, which is sin, worked in tandem with the advent of birth control and the legalization of abortion, which separated sex from procreation which moved on to the legalization of no-fault divorce, which turned a covenant into a contract and separated sex from intimacy and fidelity, then to Tinder and hookup culture, which separated sex from romance and turned it, in a way, turned it into a way of getting your needs met. From there, it moved to the LGBTQI plus revolution which separated sex from male-female binary, the current transgender wave, which is an attempt to separate gender from biological sex, and the nascent polymori movement, an attempt to move beyond two-person relationships, which is happening, amid, amid the revolution, he says, so he just described the sexual revolution. That's what it is, and that's where we are. He says this, Amid the revolution, the questions nobody seems to even be asking are, is that making us better people? Are we more loving people? Or are we happier people? Are we thriving in a way that we did not thrive before when we embraced sexual liberation? You see, if it comports with reality, then we should be, right? That's the test. But when you consider the few data points from research, he begins to say, interestingly enough, happiness levels in the West declined in the U.S. You know when they started to decline? In the 60s. Divorce, and again, this is where we're doing heterosexual sexuality and homosexuality. It's all jacked up. Divorce is seen, and we should know this by now, is a traumatic event for all children. And what he also talks about is the fact that considered divorce, it's cited as an example of liberation from patriarchy, is actually shown to be disproportionately a benefit to guess who? Men. Or those who cohabitate. Some of you guys might be living together right now before you're married. You're more likely to get divorced than if you wait to cohabitate. The whole idea of try before you buy, it don't work. You actually develop long-term trust issues when you cohabitate. Some of y'all need to move out. Or the research on oxytocin and vasopressin, the two chemicals that release in our body during sex. Those actually, you know what they bring? Attachment. Didn't the Bible talk about the two become one what? Flesh. It actually causes you to bond with the other person. And so you know what the studies are showing? The more sexual partners that you have, the less capacity you have for intimacy. Or the much documented, he says, but little talked about data effect on abortion when it comes to women. It actually harms their mental health and their physical health more than people are saying. 
So much so that some people are saying those who are proponents of abortion are actually looking to maybe move a little bit away from it because it has such profound negative effects on women. Or what about sex reassignment surgery and hormone therapy for those who identify as transgender? They actually found that it does not benefit their emotional health, and in fact, they become more suicidal afterward, not less. Suicidal ideation is at the greatest height in that community. Porn. Porn has created a sex epidemic of addiction in our country. Never mind the fact of sexual abuse and sexual assault are getting worse, not better. One out of every four women experience sexual violence. One out of every four. And then the rape culture that we see on universities. And then he ends with this. The liberation is starting to look more and more like enslavement to me. The emperor has no clothes. You guys ever heard that story? The emperor with no clothes? I was a little boy, little Disney, had a little Disney thing. And it was a little record player and it used to play. And I remember you had the deceivers, the devil. These two guys that were spinning on a wheel like they were spinning clothes. The king was had cravings. It was his craving to be seen and have the best clothing that ever was. Nobody has this kind of clothing. So the seamstress come in. They say, yeah, we're making something. They keep looking in there. So we don't see anything on the, we don't see nothing. You, you know, we spinning something that's just dope, man. I'm telling you, man, you're going to be coming out here looking like Gucci, homie. I'm telling you, they were just doing it up. And then the king goes and they say, we're done. And they take it, they act like they're taking something off the loom and they fit the king on them. They put, up, put the Gucci on him. He's looking, whoop, whoop. And he's kind of looking at it. Dude ain't got nothing on but his underwear. But he's convinced because of the cravings of his heart that he's got some clothes on. And so then he starts to walk out in the parade. And all of the subjects are looking, and what do they do? Oh, the king looks so wonderful. Why? Because they had a craving too. They don't want to lose their heads. But they know he ain't got no clothes on. And what does it take? It takes a little kid that comes out of his hand and looks at the king and says, he has nothing on at all. And then the other kid says, yeah, he has nothing on at all. And then everybody says, he has nothing on at all. He has nothing. And then finally everybody steps into the truth. You see, we're jumping off the proverbial building saying we can fly and we keep falling flat on our face. And where's the spirit in all of this? Where's the spirit? Because I told you I'm looking for the spirit as I close. Well, in John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You see, the spirit is connected to truth. So when we believe truth, that is, when we step into what is reality, you're going to flourish. I know the culture is telling you, do relationships your way. Do sex your way. Do anger your way. But if it doesn't comport with the reality of this book, I guarantee you, you will find yourself in destruction. But when we believe lies, as we believe lies, that's where we'll find ourselves is not thriving. So what's the other ingredient in the soil of the flesh? It's deception. It's deception. So I want to maybe just bring this down as I finish up. The lie is, if I sow to my flesh, 
then I will reap life. That's the lie in Galatians chapter 5. God's reality for some of us is standing in the way of our desires. And so what we do is we create a reality for ourselves that corresponds with our desires so we can get what we want in our flesh. The lie is, when I'm sitting in the emergency room, here's the lie. God can't give you a sermon in three days. You need to put pressure on your wife so she feels guilty so you can go in sermon prep. But the reality is, I am with you, son. My mercies are new every morning. I order your steps. And I will be with you. In fact, I'm already on Sunday before you even got there. So be present with your wife. Attend to her and sacrifice and love her. Because I take care of the birds and the lilies. That freed me to love. See, the reality is, wherever you find yourself, his mercies are new every morning. But the lie is, Right now, wherever you find yourself, his mercies won't be enough for what you need. And so you have to obsess, and you have to be anxious, and you have to be worried. You see, the reality is, young people and old, if you respect and obey your parents, the reality is God says you will be blessed. And here's the lie. Here's a lie that young people always buy into. God's blessings aren't as good as what disobedience brings. So I'm going to be disobedient instead. You see, I don't know where you are right now, but as I kind of land this plane, reality is all the security and the intimacy in that relationship or that relational expression that you think is ultimately going to give you the longing that desires in your heart, the lie is relationship your way, power, money, position, is not going to give you the desires of your heart. A deep, abiding relationship with the God who loves you, died for you, said that I will never leave you or forsake you. A relationship with him will fulfill you far beyond and above any relationship of any other context. See, here's the reality. You have some cares. Anybody have some cares in this room right now? Here's the reality. The reality is if you cast your cares on him, and you release trying to control your situation because he cares for you, peace will be yours. That's a reality. But here's the lie. He doesn't care enough. It's taking him too long. And so I want to swim in control in order to fuel change. You see, you crave revenge, retribution, because something awful was done to you. Here's the reality. God's vengeance is good enough. He will repay so you can forgive. But the lie is, I want to pay them back my way. And so I'm going to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. See, the reality is I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you know what that means? You can be content right now with the life that you're living, no matter what it looks like, because you have far more than what you can even imagine in the heavens. That's the reality, but here's the lie. It's not enough. 
You step into the lies, and you will get the works of the flesh. So my encouragement to you as we continue this journey is fight to believe what God says is true of you in him. And in concert with that, as you live it, you will live the race of life. Because what he has to say here is reality. And when you live in concert with reality, you will thrive and flourish. Well, let's prepare ourselves for communion. And if I can ask Pastor James and Jacob to come up. As you're preparing your heart for communion, I wanted you to do two things. Again, we're dealing with the flesh here. I want you to identify the desires and deceptions that are informing that fruit of flesh in your life right now. Don't check out. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work. Whether it's jealousy, envy, anger, bitterness, gossip, comparison, whatever fruit of the flesh that is manifesting in your life right now, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, please, will you help me to see what's driving it? What is the craving? What is the desire? And what is the deception that I'm embracing that is producing the fruit of the flesh? I just want you to take some time to go before the Lord and bring that before him. And then when you feel like you're ready, you can get up and come and get the elements, take them back to your seat and wait for everyone to get them as we will take them together. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, Savior, and treasure, we would ask that you would abstain from taking the elements. But maybe take this as an opportunity for you to invite Jesus into your life as your Lord, Savior, and treasure. That as these elements represent his sacrifice for the flesh and the sin that we are all talking about, you would find freedom in him. So take that time now. When you're ready, you can come and get the elements.